Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself. And if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora and welcome to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I feel like I'm about to start some kind of event show and I'm very excited because this is my first solo episode in a while. As you guys know, I took a two-week break. I don't know why I'm making this the most dramatic thing in the world, but I'm going to say that it impacted me a lot <laughs> and I have felt very lost, guys. I've been honestly struggling. I've just, I felt low, a little bit low, and I don't know why, but I've, I'm coming back to you with a fresh perspective, and today we are talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm so excited about. I'm so excited to talk about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because this is the first money and self-development book I ever read, because it's definitely a combination of both of those things. It talks about financial themes, but finance and financial literacy is just one branch under the tree of overall personal growth, of overall self-development. Your finances are so dependent on you knowing what you actually want out of your life because just getting more money is is not a deep enough understanding of how that money is actually going to help you, of why that money is actually going to help you. So you need to understand yourself to understand why money is important to you. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode and all of the amazing themes that come out of this book. Uh, I've done a lot of prep for this episode, as I do for every episode, but for this one in particular, I have gone back through this book, which I have not read Oh, in almost 10 years, would you believe it? And I actually, when I read it, I put little post-it notes in all of the spots where I found that things were a profound insight for me at the time, which is really interesting because we're talking about profound insights for 19, 20-year-old Sarah. I'm 24, 25 in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Quarter century, oh my God, I'm so old. Um, So yeah, I'm 25 in a couple of weeks. And going back and reading this book and seeing what I thought was interesting was so cool for me because I was like, wow, that right now is the most obvious statement you could have made, could have made, 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 (laughs) that is the most obvious statement you could have made. But at that time, it was mind blowing. I was amazed. Doors were opened. And that's what this book very much started for me was a love for personal development books, a love for growing and learning and finding out like what felt like the little hacks of life. How do the rich get richer? How does that happen? And although this book doesn't cover everything and every reason for that, it definitely gives you a great start. And it's written so accessibly. And I think that's what makes this book so great is that it's a very easy read in the sense that it's laid out in an easy to follow structure. And so hopefully I can do this episode justice as we discuss all those different parts. So what actually is the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad about? Because when I first heard this book in the title, I thought, that this guy literally had two dads, like two actual dads, and he was going through why one dad 
was rich one day was poor, which actually, do you know what, that actually is the book, because he grew up with his biological dad, which was the poor dad, and then he grew up with his friend's dad, who he obviously saw a lot because his best friend, he was always hanging with his best friend, and his best friend's dad was rich. And so he had these two influences in life that he calls his rich dad and his poor dad. And he was able to learn various things from the two of them and kind of work out why one dad was really struggling despite having this really logical, rational perspective on life and money. And the rich dad who seemed to be doing really well considering that he had a slightly alternative view to how to make money. There are six core lessons within this book uh, that he learnt from his rich dad. And I really like that he breaks a lot of these a lot of the concepts down into like individual lessons. So these are the six core lessons within the book. One, why the rich don't work for money. Two, why you should teach financial literacy. Three, mind your own business. Four, the history of taxes and power of corporations. Five, the rich invent money. Six, work to learn, don't work for money. Within the book, he breaks down each of these six lessons and kind of breaks those down into more lessons, I guess. And we're going to start with different segments of the book that I found were core parts of it and the first one is understanding the mindsets there was a huge focus on mindset within this book I would argue it was one of if not the most important part of the entire book was understanding the thinking behind this like what mindset shifts do we need in order to actually act out the unconventional wisdom uh, we seem to be getting within this book so as I said uh, Robert Kiyosaki the author of this book he had a rich dad and he had a poor dad. The poor dad's focus was on traditional education and job security, a stable nine to five that paid well. The rich dad's emphasis, his focus was on entrepreneurship, financial education and owning assets over liabilities. And we go into what that actually means further in the episode. But his perspective was very much work for yourself. Learn all the lessons yourself. Don't rely on other people to teach them for you. Like more of an independent uh, approach whereas poor dad's was very much trust the system work within he worked for the government I think like very much that style of thinking and I know that you can probably already think of two people in your life whether they are your parents your grandparents your friends parents your friends even uh, people you work with who represent both of these mindsets something interesting that he focuses on which I would not have expected is manifestation there's actually a focus on manifestation of course he doesn't call it that and to be honest I don't think we need to label you know people say oh I don't like manifestation or oh I'm obsessed with manifestation all manifestation really is is just saying what you want and changing the mindset behind what you're saying so he says that his rich dad Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad would repeat I don't work for money money works for me so he would repeat that phrase, I don't work for money, money works for me. He would change saying, I can't afford it, to how can I afford it? So what I'm picking up there is essentially he stopped putting limits on what he could do with the I can't afford it. It's not I can't full stop, will not never be able to work out how to afford it. It's how could I do that? I couldn't do it now, but how could I actually do that? As I said, the rich dad has that opinion that's very much independent from government systems and structures he talks about attitude change and instead of relying on everyone else to fix your problems or blame others you need to rely on yourself I have some thoughts on this mindset because as I was reading through I was like yeah and I've believed this for so long where it's like you can't rely on anyone else you've just got to 
do things yourself and, you know, you can't rely on the government to help you get out of being poor or struggling with your money or struggling with your life or your career. You've got to do it yourself. This isn't an uncommon sentiment. Like I hear it on so many different forms of media now. And I think it's actually quite sad that people will often say a game changing moment in their life was realizing that they can only rely on themselves and no one else. I'm not saying that it isn't true. I'm just saying it's sad. Like I think that's so sad that we get to a point in life where it's like the government's not going to help us out boss doesn't really give a shit about what we're doing with our life or what we want for our life. Everyone only cares about money and progress. So the only person you can truly rely on is yourself. And I think that's just such a sad reality about life is that so often we, we can't rely on a truly like community based system in from a Western perspective, a Western society perspective, it's very much about the individual pushing themselves forward. And then I think we almost create that not self-centered, but that individualistic uh, way of living um, because we can't rely on others. So I think that when I read that back, I was like, hmm, I hear this so often. And even though it might be true to some extent, it's almost like a self-perpetuating cycle and it's really sad. I also think that this way of thinking doesn't take into perspective, of course, the many nuances and different situations that people can be in. You know, you can't rely on the government. You've got to fix it yourself. Well, it's not always as black and white as someone just taking charge of their own life straight away. Yes, you know, ultimately you can work towards getting out of bad situations and we see examples of that all the time, especially on podcasts like this where we talk to people who have managed to get out of debt, out of poverty um, and not rely on other people to help them. But at the end of the day, we should be able to rely on other people to help us. And these things take time as well. So I think that this ultimately has nothing to do with the overall book's message, but I just wanted to put that in there that this is how people feel. You know, they feel like they can't rely on others to help them. And I think it is should be a personal mission of each individual person to help other people where they can give them a step up and a foot up so that this thinking of we can only ever rely on ourselves doesn't always have to be the only way but then ultimately on the other side of things taking ownership of your future despite the circumstances you were put in without choice uh, that can be very empowering and once you sort of break through these barriers of like I can't do this I can't do that and you find a way whether through the help of others or truly just on your own accord uh, that's extremely empowering and you can teach and inspire others to do the same thing and you know most of you listening to this are all going to be working within the same system which is called capitalism capitalism is a system that most of the western world lives within it has its limits more for some than it does for others and a big part of this book is like understanding how we can work best in capitalism in order to thrive like this book could just be called taking advantage of capitalism and making it work for you and that is often the difference between, and I hate kind of breaking it down like this, but as the book does, between the rich and the poor is like who has managed to receive the privilege of being taught how to thrive within a capitalistic system. There's a quote within here that Robert Kiyosaki says, which is people's lives are forever controlled by two emotions, fear and greed. Both are as a result of the society we live in, as I was just talking about. We fear we will be without money, but we also have this greed to participate in the consumerism culture we live in. And it's out of fear and greed that the illusion of money, and if you've read Sapiens, you would know why money is not real and all of that chat about we live on a rock in the universe and blah, blah. But 
this is what it's saying. It's like out of fear and greed that the illusion of money is held together by those that participate within a system with currency. Like money at the end of the day isn't real, but because we are controlled by those two emotions of fear and greed and we crave so much security and control that these systems continue to work. And that's a much bigger discussion about, it's not really about, I don't believe in taking down the system or anything. I think that although it has its faults, there are many other systems that could be worse. But understanding the layers behind how capitalism and how Western society in particular works from an economic point of view can actually help you understand why this is important, like why knowing the difference between assets and liabilities is relevant. The next segment of this kind of book that or next theme of this book that I found to be important was Robert covering the importance of financial education. We all know how important financial literacy is and it's great to have seen it somewhat as a discussion in this year's political election. Hopefully whoever is elected pulls through on whatever promises they make. Um, But yes, we all know how important financial education is. And within this book, Robert Kiyosaki goes into the different elements of that. What is actually important to know within financial education? He says things like, it's not how much money you make, but how much you keep. People want to make a million dollars. First of all, it's like, why do you want a million dollars? Why will a million dollars help you? But second of all, a million dollars doesn't matter if you can't manage it in a way for that to actually benefit you. And to be fair, even if you're you have a thousand dollars. Can you manage that in a way that benefits you? Adding on to this, he uses a quote that says, People try to build the Empire State Building on a six inch slab. Something I take from this is that in our attempt to get rich in air quotes, we want to make the most money. And as I said, it's not about the most, it's about how good your systems are to keep that money and use it after the fact to optimize the money you already have. Make it work for you. Invest in assets that produce an income not liabilities that pay for expenses and so he talks about another thing called financial IQ which is made up of four different areas and so these are other important parts of financial education that Robert Kiyosaki sees as relevant for people to understand the first one is accounting and do you know what honestly this book looking back is probably part of the reason why I chose to study accounting at uni if you don't know I hold a bachelor's degree majoring in accounting And that's where I started my career. And then I was like, actually, I don't think I like this. So yeah, I think this book was probably a big part of me choosing that major. Even though if you know my story, I had a scholarship that meant I had to major in either accounting, financial systems, finance, or or one of the number-ish ones. And I probably chose accounting because I read books like this and they said how important accounting was to know and I thought it would just be a good broad topic. But anyway, he talks about the importance of that and referring to having the financial literacy to understand what numbers are saying when you start to invest or own a business, if your business will be successful or not. So it's saying that accounting is an important financial concept to understand in order to have a business or an investment that makes sense to help grow your money, to make it an actual asset. The second uh, area of financial IQ is investing. So this is the science of money making money. In other words, compounding. And we did an episode on the power of compounding or what compounding is a couple of weeks ago. If you're not sure, go back to that uh, where we talk all about it. So yeah, this is an important concept just to understand why investing can help you get ahead or what and why I'm and I'm not just talking about investing in uh 
investing in the stock market. I'm also talking about investing in real estate and all other types of investing, like what is the science of money making money. The third area that comes under this financial IQ is understanding markets. And that's understanding supply and demand, which is basically economics. And if an investment makes sense or not, how are the powers within the markets, within the society we live within, uh, being capitalism, how are those markets determining the price and the value of things? And therefore, how does that indicate whether or not our investments are sound investments or not? And to be honest, I think this is probably more relevant for the average person who is investing in real estate because it's more likely that you're going to be looking at the highs and lows within the property market than you are at the highs and lows of the share market because most beginners I would hope are investing in things like funds which are automatically diversified whereas real estate you're investing in one asset which is the one house the one property so you really want to make a good decision as to if the value of that property is going to increase by the time you want to sell it. So this is kind of the importance of understanding markets. And then the fourth uh, area underneath financial IQ is the law. So someone who understands the tax advantages of having a business and how they can be protected through corporations gain more money over the long term. So someone who's a freelancer might benefit from being able to claim certain expenses and that lowers their tax obligation versus someone who has a salary job and can't do that. And that's just an example, but this is basically what he's meaning when he says the law is like, how are you understanding the rules around businesses, around assets, so that you're getting an advantage where other people aren't? Most of the time, a tax advantage. Another example of something like this is that charitable donations are tax deductible. And you might not understand that or know that if you don't own a business or don't look at your tax return or anything like that, especially being in New Zealand where we don't really have to do our own individual tax returns as a non-business owner. So those are kind of the main things of financial education that he finds important to go over. I think, I think yes, those are important and I think they're very good foundations for those of us who want to take more of an entrepreneurial route it's good for the average person too but I don't think we have to get into depth about this especially at the beginning of our journeys but if you're someone who's kind of you've done the investing you've got a good money management system you want to get into business you want to optimize your um, money even further what can you do these concepts will be important to learn and probably Rich Dad Porter would give you a good starting place for that the next section which is very important I feel like this is probably one of the more famous uh, concepts within the book that really do separate the rich from the poor if you want to call it that it's basically putting the assumption that poor people are poor because they put themselves in that position um and rich people are rich because they put themselves in that position and that's a very black and white way of looking at things but for the sake of simplicity and how this book is written that is how I'm going to be talking about it. So this concept the difference between assets and liabilities is key. A quote directly from the book is that rich people acquire assets the middle class and poor acquire liabilities they think are assets. How he defines the difference between an asset and a liability is as simple as this. An asset puts money in my pocket. A liability takes money out of my pocket. So your home that you buy to live in, does that put money in your pocket? I know technically we could say yes if the value is increasing, but the answer is no. 
a home you own and you live in does not put money in your pocket. A home you own and have renters in does put money in your pocket. He has this diagram, which I have in front of me, and these are the times where podcasts just don't work, but I'm going to put it on my Instagram, so go and follow at The One Up Project if you want to see it or just message me and I can send it through to you. It's a cash flow pattern diagram, which I think I actually just got for the first time uh, prepping for this episode. I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I definitely did not understand this when I first read the book, guaranteed, because I feel like something actually just clicked for me when I was looking at it. And the diagram goes through an income statement or just a view of how someone's money flows in a poor person's life, in a middle class person's life, and in a rich person's life. And so within each of these diagrams, he outlines the income, the expenses, and then below it, the assets and the liabilities. So we know that there's a diagram going over the poor, the middle class, and the rich and showing the cash flow. For the poor, money goes straight from their job into their income, down to the expenses, and out. And that's it. Money comes in from your salary, your expenses come out of your salary, and the money leaves. There's no touching of any assets or any liabilities in the poor person's financial statements. For the middle class, salary comes in from their job, skips the expenses and goes through liabilities first and then from the liabilities goes through the expenses and out. So for a middle class person, salary comes in, that pays for the mortgage, the car loan, the credit card debt and the school loans and then it goes to the daily expenses, the taxes, the car payment. For the rich, the income isn't the salary. The income comes straight from the assets. So your cash flow doesn't go income to expenses, it goes assets to income. Glenn James, host of My Millennial Money, refers to the same concept when explaining basic money management themes. How does your cash actually flow? Where are you getting it from? So the poor and the middle class are getting it from their job, the rich are getting it from their assets. The poor and the middle class are earning money from their job, The rich are getting it from their assets. This is their real estate, their stocks, their businesses. And I know there's many nuances to how this starts and how this begins and how you end up with those assets. I just want to explain the high level concepts for now. Coming back to something we spoke about earlier, sometimes it's not about earning more money, but making sure you're managing what you have correctly in a way that works for you. One of the quotes in the book used is, if you find you have dug yourself into a hole, stop digging. And I know that's a really blunt, probably unhelpful statement. Uh, But I want to think about it for a second, because sometimes we do get into these holes with money where we are constantly using buy now, pay laters to fund things in our life. And we think that's the only way to continue to fund our lifestyle, right? We just continue with these buy now, pay laters. It's going to be hard to get rid of those at first, the credit cards to stop living within debt and spending from within debt. It's not going to be easy. It takes time. I know I'm currently getting myself out of a hole at the moment. I'm not in debt to anyone, but I <laughs> I took my tax money out of my account and used it in Bali and I'm still paying it back. This is like 10 months later. Um, and it's it's actually really hard to just get out of this situation and start back at zero again. 
But I need to stop digging. I need to stop digging that hole to get to a place where I can start from zero and actually build up my money again, build up my assets and start to manage my cash flow in a way that promotes this kind of rich ideal of how to work within the system, thrive within the system we live within. So as I said, Robert Kiyosaki likes assets. He doesn't consider owning a home, the one that you live in as an asset because it's not putting money in your pocket. It's only taking it out. It's a liability, which I think is an interesting perspective, especially considering that is like the Kiwi dream to own your own home. And I think there's definitely many other factors that make owning a home an amazing thing because it's not just about what's giving you money. Uh, It's about what's providing you with a safe place for family. Um, Is that meaningful to the people in your life to have your own home? Like it's all going to come down to what's actually meaningful to you. But this is just what the book's talking about in terms of getting richer and earning more money. Not about from a values perspective, what matters, but that's very much an important part of understanding money as well. And what matters to you, because you're not going to be jealous of someone who owns six investment properties if that's not like your goal in your future but you will be if you don't know what you want or you're doing something for the sake of what other people want and not for the reasons you want it so that's why it's really important to work out what you value so that's a bit about assets and liabilities the next kind of segment is called mind your own business and this is maybe where some of the discussion around to get ahead in air quotes you need to own your own business chat comes in and so many people don't want to own their own business but within this book Robert Kiyosaki defines a part of getting ahead and thinking like the rich to be owning your own business it doesn't mean you need to run a product-based business with heaps of staff your business might be investing in property for example so there's all sorts of different ways that you could do this and I think the business part speaks a lot to the tax advantages you get from setting up something as a business. But I know that's not what everyone's journey is and it's important to work out what you value. I think the takeaway here is that to get rich, we need assets, not liabilities, and a business can be an asset. But also, as I was reading this, I was like, well, it can also just as easily be a liability. So you need to know what's right for you and what makes sense. You know, going and buying uh, the dairy down the street thinking this is going to be a really profitable but profitable business might not be the right path for you because who's to say you even care about owning a dairy or want to put in any kind of work to get to that point maybe you would be happier just managing the money you have better and living a more low-key lifestyle and continuing wanting to get more and I think that's one of the themes within capitalism and within the society we live in is like it's always about getting more working more efficiently doing this, that, and the other thing, getting ahead. Sometimes, why can't we just make the most of what we have in the moment and and make it enough to be sustainable and for us to be content? As they say, money doesn't buy happiness, you know? But again, it comes back to what you want. I'm just raising opinions here. Oh yeah, this was actually an important part of owning a business and probably speaks against the dairy example I just just gave you. But a business that Robert Kiyosaki, the author, counts as an asset is one that you don't work within. He says a real, a true business, a true asset um, that is a business is one you don't work within. Otherwise, it's called a job, which I kind of lolled at. Uh, So some people might work within a business to get to a point where they don't have to be there or start a business that is really low touch from your end. And that's the business that is an asset because it provides passive income. That's truly passive income is when you don't have to do 
anything to get it. And to be honest, I've actually heard arguments against investment properties being passive income because you still have to hire a property manager and manage the property and do all of that. But if you don't have to work within the business at all, that is true passive income. And so the concept of minding your own business means stop having your income capped by someone else. Grow assets that are unlimited that have unlimited income earning potential. I think this also speaks to another common theme we be, we see or hear about how the rich get richer, so to speak, and that is having multiple income streams that are assets. So it might be, you know, your investment property income and then your business and then your investments or whatever. But with all of these options, they come with an initial investment anyway. And sometimes you will well, often, if not every time, you will have to do a lot of work up front to get to this point, and that is important to note as well. But I like the idea of having multiple streams of income from a diversification point of view, from a safety point of view. I mean, that's what we do with our investments. We, we diversify our portfolio to spread us across a range of markets, and an entrepreneur would do the same thing. They would have multiple streams of income spread across different markets so that they are safe and secure from the volatility of what different markets may bring to their income growth potential. I also think just generally owning a business or being self-employed in some type of capacity, if you're a freelancer or you do contract work, it can help teach you so much and develop skills that you could not learn in a typical nine to five working for someone else. But it's definitely not for everyone, although it is an example of building an asset. The next concept is to overcome fear and take risks. Uh, A quote that I quite enjoyed from this book is often in life it's not the smartest who get ahead but the bold and I find that so often recently that it's really just about putting something on the line, your reputation, your ego, your status, whatever it is, putting something on the line to get something else, that is what will get people ahead, taking risks. Investing in yourself and your education is majorly important. Another quote that I really enjoy is great opportunities are not seen with your eyes. They are seen with your mind. I would often hear when I was younger, like people say, oh, take the good opportunities, find the opportunities within what you're doing. And I'm like, I was so confused. Like, what do you mean find the opportunity? I'm so, what opportunities? Uh, but as you grow your mind and your your development, it's not about seeing the opportunities within the things that you do with your eyes. It's about kind of feeling the opportunities. And I think feeling like this is right or this is wrong. This is where I'm going to learn. This is where I'm going to grow. This isn't. So being bold coupled with understanding how to see an opportunity can help you get ahead. And you realize the benefit of taking risks, even though it's scary, even though with any risk, of course, you could fail. And actually, I saw this TikTok uh, that was George Clooney's wife. I hate that I don't know her name and I have to refer to her as that. Amal Clooney, I think. She did a talk and was saying that what would her advice be to 25-year-olds out there? And her advice was that you should try to define failure as not trying instead of things not working out. And I love that. I love that failure is within not even giving it a go as opposed to that thing not working out at all. There is a paragraph in this book that no doubt impacted the choices I made from this moment forward because for some reason from the last year of high school I seemed to make decisions about work and my future that related more so to what I was going to learn and a gut feeling as opposed to 
what it was providing me from a financial point of view. And so I want to read the, the paragraph. It says, I recommend to young people to seek work for what they will learn more than what they will earn. Look down the road at what skills they want to acquire before choosing a specific profession and before getting trapped in the rat race. And subconsciously, I for sure decided to pick things, take risks on things. And I'm so glad that something within my sub- subconscious was working for me there because I learned so much, as, as this paragraph says, but in a way that helped me realize things were possible as opposed to the benefits of a secure and stable life. Definitely had a lot of privilege in that sense, had a home I could always go back to, um, parents who I could rely on to be there for me and support me if things didn't work out financially. I could always be at home and those sorts of things. So I understand that there was a huge level of privilege in what I was able to do. But either way, that risk-taking capability was something that helped me grow enormously. The My Millennial Money Sort Your Career Out book is a really good one for anyone lost in their career. It's super practical. It's basically like a workbook. Uh, and I found that it helped me, even though I wasn't didn't actually feel lost in my career at the time, it still helped me grow. Coming back to that define failure as not trying over things not working out thing, there's this theory called loss aversion theory. And it's powerful and can hold so many of us back. Loss aversion theory basically says that people are more scared about what they can lose than what they can gain. And the fear of failure or of being poor is stronger than the desire to succeed or be rich, which ironically can end up holding us back and making us poorer. So I think trying to let failure inspire us instead of tear us down um, is an extremely powerful thing to develop. Not easy, of course, but powerful. And that is something that Robert Kiyosaki goes into in this book is 10 lessons to develop your personal power. I haven't done exactly the lessons he said. I've made them into my own. And I'd recommend reading the book if you want to have more context on what each of these mean. The first lesson to develop your personal power is find out what your why is. What is your why? Sort your wants and your don't wants. Make them clear so that every decision becomes easier. The second lesson is 1% every day. Contribute to a better version of yourself at 1% every day. Make small choices. Small, consistent choices add up to big changes. The third lesson is choose your circle carefully. Choose the people around you. You're, you know, what's that quote? You're an average of the five people you hang out with. I think beyond that, you just become complacent with what you're surrounded by. So if you're surrounded by people who don't align with what you want for your life, you'll become complacent to that life. But at the same time, you'll become resentful of those people and of people that have what you want. And so it only leads to more negative feelings. Choose your circle really carefully and make no apologies for changing as a person. You don't have to be rude about leaving a friend group or removing yourself from a certain uh, group of people. But you shouldn't have to feel guilty for wanting something different. It's not even to say what you want is better. It's just to say it's different. And that is totally fine. There's no animosity within those kind of thoughts. There's just change. And unfortunately, people will take things personally and make out like it's an offensive choice you're making. But actually, that's just more a reflection of how they feel about themselves. The fourth lesson is learn quickly, keep developing, and drop the fear of failure. We've talked about this a lot. 
let failure be defined by the choices you don't make rather than the choices you do. Asking the dumb questions, being the beginner, learning, that is the best and most valuable spot you can ever be in in your life. You are at the start of such an amazing journey, learning journey. You have that opportunity there to be better and you have the people around you who can help you, hopefully. Lesson number five, pay yourself first. So this is an expenses first. This is savings first. Don't put all of your expenses into your budget and pay yourself what you have left. Pay yourself, pay your savings, pay your investments, what you have first and drop those expenses where you need because you're paying those last six. This one is basically value good advice and find professionals who can help you get to the place you want to get to, whether it's a financial advisor, a therapist, whoever it is, is going to help you get on your journey. That is an investment in itself value those people value that investment in order to grow number seven is try to get your money back as fast as possible so if you're making an investment in something try to make sure that return on your investment is happening quickly so for property it's like how are you investing and then flipping that property fast enough to get your money back which you can leverage to use for other properties and continue to grow your wealth that way if you have a business how are you flipping that business to be profitable as soon as possible I'm not really a big fan of speed like there's so many elements within this book that yes are important but are absolutely not how I'm going to run my life and that's not to say they're any less valuable it's just to say that I understand myself well enough to know what isn't isn't and what is and what isn't going to work for me number eight use assets to buy luxuries so don't just use your salary to buy your luxury items fund that with your assets so that they are continuing to grow for you and you have that passive form of income, of money to get those things that you want. The next one is choose heroes, mentors and inspirations. Have heroes, mentors and inspirations. Find them. Find them through LinkedIn. Find them through Instagram. Find them in your family. Find them in your friend group. Like find people who you look up to. That'll lead you to the next person. I have been blessed in my life to have some of the most incredible people choose to believe in me and choose to help me and choose to guide me and I would not be anywhere near where I am personally if it were not for those people the power of someone believing in you is in my eyes transformational for any kind of person and I hope that I can be that person for as many other people as well which leads on to the final lesson give the knowledge to someone else if you have the privilege of having received some kind of information in your life knowledge awareness do your best to give that to someone else and do you know what these 10 steps kind of remind me of the 10 steps to being sober or stopping alcoholism because it ends with teach someone else to do the same which is great it's a great um, formula and a great step-by-step in order to help you build up your own wealth, your own success, and then give that to someone else so that they don't have to rely on themselves for this, you know? Coming back to what I said about that being sad at the beginning, that people feel like they can only rely on themselves. Let's change that. Let's live in a society where we value community. I hope this uh, overview of Richard Porter gave you some context about what you can take and learn from the difference between assets and liabilities and how we can all get rich and have the best time ever um, you know managing money and investing being important themes of growing and I hate to say getting ahead because who's to say what is getting ahead and what isn't but you know exactly what I mean getting ahead for you personally thank you so much for listening for being here for supporting me if you were listening to this still um, even in the outro 
I very much appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you over on Instagram. We'll talk soon. Leave a review and yeah, can't wait for the next episode. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.